AI visionaries. The lay of the land on where things are? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Definitely one of the most integrated partners we have. Hi, welcome. I'm Dave Lehman, President and COO of BirdEye. I'm thrilled to be here today in Bellevue, Washington with my good friend, Eric Boyd, Corporate Vice President of the AI platform at Microsoft. Eric Boyd leads the AI platform team within Microsoft Cloud and the AI division. This is a global organization that spearheads the development and deployment of Azure OpenAI services. The platform spans all aspects of machine learning, from building the models on thousands of GPUs to serving them to millions of users. During his tenure at Microsoft, Eric has had great success in several roles. He joined the company in 2009 to create the Silicon Valley search ads team. He moved to Bellevue in 2011 to lead the Bing ads development team prior to taking on his current role in 2015. Eric graduated from MIT as an engineer and is an avid skier, Seahawks fan, and Boston Red Sox fan. Today, we'll hear from Eric about the evolution of AI, where we are today, and the best practices to get the most from it. Followed by Q&A with yours truly, please join me in welcoming AI expert and my longtime friend, Eric Boyd. Thanks, Dave. Really glad to be here. Uh, thanks for having me, and yeah, excited. Looking forward to it. Yeah, this is great. This is great. So look, Microsoft has been in this space for a really long time. They've been doing a lot with machine learning and AI. Uh, you guys obviously signed this big partnership with OpenAI. Can you just sort of give us a lay of the land on where things are? Yeah, I'd be happy to. I mean, it's uh, it's been a really exciting, honestly, year, five-year, 10-year period in AI. And, and it's really led us to this moment where this generative AI age is really taking off. And so, you know, there's a lot of excitement and a lot of things that are happening. But I kind of want to go back a little bit and just sort of give a little bit of the history of where this has come from. You know, people are like, wow, artificial intelligence has just taken the world by stage in the last, you know, year. But all of these techniques were really developed in the 50s, you know, and sort of the math behind gradient descent and things like that. It's been a long time coming, but these technologies didn't really work in the 50s. And then it was even in the 90s that, you know, we looked at some of these machine learning models and they could do relatively simple things. They could do relatively simple forecasting. Uh, but it wasn't the AI that we think of now. And it really wasn't until like the 2010s where we came up with this notion of deep learning. And deep learning sounds like this really sophisticated new idea, this new exciting way of doing things. But in practice, it really is just taking these same techniques and just making the models bigger and then giving them more compute and giving them more data. And so in the 2010s is when we really started to see things like speech suddenly started to work. And so speech recognition, which we now take for granted, I pull out my phone and I talk to it. And of course, you know, I can get the speech recognition done. That really started to come about in, in the early 2010s. Uh, things like vision models, being able to sort of recognize different objects. Uh, but natural language processing text was still pretty resistant. And it wasn't until the last few years, these really generative AI years, where suddenly we were able to make the models so much larger, so much bigger to the point where text really started to work. And so really across this whole spectrum of AI as we're trying to make things better, there've really been three drivers of the momentum that have gotten us here. And the first is we've given these models more data. The amount of data that we have, if you compare from the 50s versus the amount of data that's generated today, every single day, is absolutely astronomical. And so being able to capture and use that data in a really effective way 
has just transformed the power of these models. The second side is compute. And we've been able to harness the compute advances as Moore's law was effective for many years. And then even the last few decades as it's tailored off, we've been able to use specialty compute, uh, graphical processing units to really go and, and, and chaining thousands of them together to really get the compute scale that we need. And the last is we continue to innovate and make new, uh, new innovations in the way that the model is actually constructed in the architecture. And so you'll hear people talk about convolutional networks or transformers. Those are the things that have really unlocked, you know, the past few years of, of this massive growth and what AI can do. You know, it was really about five or six years ago that we were talking with OpenAI and both of our companies were kind of seeing these same trends. We were seeing this notion that as the models got bigger, man, they were continuing to increase in performance. And for these language models, we looked at, we were at the steep part of the curve. Typically, as you make these models bigger, you get to some part where, as I make them larger, add more data, the model doesn't perform any better. But with these language models, we're at the early stages. And so that really led us to form the partnership where we, we just made this joint bet. What if we put a really big computer together? And what if we trained a really big model? And so at Microsoft, we built what at the time we considered was probably the world's fifth largest supercomputer. And uh, then we trained a model that was just far larger than anything we'd ever really imagined. And I think it's safe to say that the results have shocked just about everyone, including us. Uh, the capabilities that we're able to get from GPT-4 and, and some of these new models is just really astounding. Um, and so now we're in this age where everyone is looking to how do they take advantage of all these things that are out there and, and bring these new models totally into their, into their fleets and into their products. Uh, at Microsoft, we've pivoted the entire company. I mean, the number of releases that we've had just this year have been absolutely astounding, leading towards how we can put co-pilots in, in virtually all of our products. And so I talk to a lot of customers, and they're all looking for, hey, what are the things that we need to do to really bring AI into our companies, and, and how do we become successful with this? And so we found a couple of capabilities that we've seen really in, in the winners, the, the people who are doing this effectively. The first is that it's a leader-led transformation. If I look at Microsoft, Satya has been instrumental in driving this transformation around AI, uh, really meeting weekly with AI leaders across the team to ensure that we really have high ambition and are thinking about what are the most amazing things we can do. After he first saw GPT-4, the first thing he did is he called a meeting with his product executives and he challenged people, uh, don't come back to me with a plan for how you're gonna make your product 3% better using this. Reinvent the product, change completely the way that it works and really take advantage of these new capabilities because it's just moving things in a totally different way. So the next thing that's a capability is when we see companies that uh, have really got their data estate in order, they're capable and confident at using data. And so when you can do that effectively, then you can actually use these models to their best intent. And the third thing we see is that there's gotta be this willingness to change. Uh, this requires doing things differently. It requires thinking about things differently and being able to put all of that together as, is really essential for companies that are gonna do this effectively. So that's really what we see in this moment of AI and, and all of the exciting things that have come. And you know, we're racing full speed, working with customers you know, like BirdEye to try and bring this great innovation to all the people around the world. So we're really excited about where that's taking us. Eric, that was awesome. Uh, really helpful. I think, you know, all of us are hearing different pieces of this around AI. You know, our kids brought it home to, you know, and totally. we're, we're, we're trying to do their homework with it and we have to figure out what's real with it. 
you know, it also feels like it's gone through through some waves, right? It, early on, people were just there was just like general fear. Like people were really excited, but then this fear of like, oh my god, the you know, Terminator, the the robots yeah. are you know are, are taking over everything. And I feel like we've gone through that wave a little bit, but then this next wave is is around security, right? Like in especially as a business, yeah. We we announced this morning our Bird AI, uh, our AI and automation platform that powers our entire customer journey. And uh, with that, we had there was two key pillars in it that Naveen talked about. One was secure, because everybody wants yep. to know that their data is being used the right way yep. and not, you know, feed in somebody else's model or, or whatnot. And then two was human control that, you know, at least the bird eye view is that we shouldn't be just automating everything because these models are so impressive yeah. that there's still a, a role for humans to play in it. Totally. So can, can we start with the security side? Yeah. Like what, 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 what do people need to know about their data? Is it going out there and, into the ether, like what, what's, what's yeah? That's that a like? question that I get all the time. Uh, you know, companies are very excited about what they can do with this, but they're worried about how the data is going to be used, and and you know, it's company data, so that's their lifeblood. Um, and so there are a couple things to understand. First is to understand how these models work, right? People assume that when you give the model some data and you ask it to do something, that it learns every time. But that's not how these models work. You train these models over a long time, many months, to create this really big model. But then once you've trained it, it's done. It's not learning anything. And so we use it, and every interaction, it doesn't remember anything about that interaction. And so every time it sees more data, it doesn't get any smarter, it doesn't change. And so the only way that the model is going to learn something is if we grabbed that data and trained a new model from scratch. And so that's where then you know companies make promises. And so at Azure, you know your data is your data. And so it lives in your tenant and it's locked up and we don't even have access to it. At Microsoft, I mean, we have the world's email. We're very used to using sensitive data. And I don't wanna be asking, you know, Bing chat, hey, what did Satya's email say yesterday? That would be a nightmare for us. And so uh, that's the exact same way that we treat companies' data. And so building an application on top of this, you know, really it's the vendors who build it that you know they they control the data and they manage it, but the data's not going anywhere else. It never goes back to OpenAI, it never gets into the model and they don't change from it. Yeah, we've got a lot of legal and healthcare and you know the the you know, they want to make sure that and we said that patient data, that the rest of it is we is, take that serious all the way up to HIPAA compliance. Like just making sure yeah. that we're delivering those things is super important for customers. Yeah, it's great. It's it's big for us too. I, and again, the other side of it is is this you know fully automate versus where does the human you know play in? Like what, what's the right balance there? Yeah, at, at Microsoft, we've really settled on this metaphor of the copilot, and I think this is really important metaphor. These models are pretty amazing. The types of things that they can do and everyone uses them is just kind of astounded um, at what, what it seems to know. But they aren't perfect and they do have this tendency to hallucinate every now and then, to make stuff up. Um, and it's not our favorite part of these models, but it's definitely, it happens. And so that's where the best use case we have is to use these models helping a person be more productive in doing their job. And that's why, I mean, the first thing we introduced was GitHub Copilot to help developers writing code. And the developer still has to own the code and write it and review it, but it just changes the interaction pattern. I mean, I'm a part-time developer, and when I write code, you know, just being able to have a conversation with someone and say, I don't understand what's happening here. Can you help me with this? That really makes you more productive. And that naturalness of talking to an agent, a copilot, 
uh, it really helps you, you know, you're used to people in a conversation saying the wrong thing, making mistakes and correcting. It feels very natural. And so the fact that they're right 95% of the time, the 5% feels really natural to sort of catch and, and correct. And so that metaphor is one that we've used extensively across Microsoft and we recommend to most of our customers, you know, that human in the loop is really important to using these models effectively. Yeah, that, that, that's great. I think one of the things that really surprised me about these models is how creative they can be, yeah. which is so powerful. If you're a marketer and you, you're looking, you got writer's block, you've got to right. write a new, you know, social post and okay, what, what, what should I put out there? Right? Like that's where the not even the full hallucination, but the creativity is, right. is great. But yeah, like you said, it's it's not ready to just, hey, let's just send this out. I think that power of being able to take an idea and sort of riff on and extend it is what people really like. But then you got to make sure it riffed and extend on it the right way. And so that's where having the human looking over it is super important. Yeah. One of the other big things that we talked about uh, this morning in the, in the keynote is uh, contextualized. Right. There's these large language models. They've been trained on on all of these parameters. Um, but again, I run uh, an urgent care. I run a dentist. Yeah. I'm, I'm a lawyer. Right. I want this to be more tied to, to my business. Yeah. Right. So can you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, taking these large models and either making them smaller models or, or, or getting it to the most contextualized responses? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, that's a process that we call grounding the model. And, you know, it's as, as simple as like, you know, when we use Bing chat, uh, if I ask Bing, you know, how did the Yankees do yesterday? Hopefully they lost. Um, but, you know, Bing doesn't know that because this model, well, it was trained through 2021, you know, and so it's years out of date. And so you need to figure out how can you give it the information to contextualize it. And so grounding the model in by giving it sort of the relevant information uh, is a pretty straightforward process, you know, just straight through the API. But that's the where place where, you know, as you're working with customers, as, as customers have their own data, figuring out how they can leverage their data to make sure that the model now is grounded on their data and particularly knows, hey, stay within this sphere, answer questions with on these things. Those are all parts of building the application and, and building the model effectively. Um, you know, and at Microsoft, we provide tools for that, but obviously we're not building every application. And so, you know, that's where we really work with companies like BirdEye that can come in and, you know, really build the applications for their customers and bring the customer's data, ground the models in them and get them focused on doing exactly the things the customers need as if all of that data were native in the original training set, but without leaking any of that data. Yeah. I think that's, that's what it comes down to when you're a location-based brand or business you need these applications to work for you. And, you know, this is where we think Bird AI can really provide value from these large, amazing new technologies and models, but they need the, you know, they don't have the prompt engineers. They don't have right. the AI experts That's right. to, to put it all together. That's right. Exactly. And so, you know, there's a lot of um, expertise often required to build these applications. And so figuring out how do we get companies who can quickly get up to speed and on le and leveraging this technology by building it into other applications, um, we see that really driving this this area forward. Any any cool examples of of brands or businesses, uh, you know, sort of contextualizing this? I mean, there you know we see so many customers using these models in, in a lot of different use cases. Um, you know, so what are some of the different use cases we see? You know, summarization is a huge use case that we see. And so yep. uh, we worked with CarMax. CarMax is a used car seller that gets 
thousands of reviews online, and they wanted to produce, you know, effectively uh, a summary of the reviews for each make and model of car. And so my first car was a 1986 Ford Tempo, and it was a piece of crap. Uh, and you can't find it anymore, fortunately. Uh, but if you could, like the reviews on it 1980 would be, Ford Fairmont. Fairmont, yeah, yeah, see, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, you would look up the reviews and it would say, boy, this car is not that good looking. And then the alternator tends to fail pretty quick on it. And it has problems with its air conditioning and just having that as a summary. And so CarMax had editors that they'd hired that were going to go through all these reviews and sort of look at every single use case and sort of bring it out that way. And, uh, you know, it would have taken them decades and, uh, they were able to use GPT-4 to do that summarization for literally thousands of make model year cars in, in a matter of weeks. And so just being able to, to take the data that the customer has and then use it in a really powerful way, um, we see a lot of companies really leaning into things like that. Yeah, summarization is huge. They said, whenever you're a marketer or anywhere in business and you've got all this data and you can have this technology simplify it or make it digestible yeah. or presentable up to somebody else, pretty, pretty powerful. And we see companies bringing their own data into it, you know, as they build bots or applications. I mean, we work with Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola at its heart is a marketing company, right? I mean, it's, you know, it's selling sugar water, right? right. Um, but, uh, you know, so they need to come up with the right marketing messages. And they wanted to help their marketing team, like, understand the history of all the things that Coca-Cola had done. What were the different campaigns? What had been effective? What hadn't been effective? And so they built internally a bot that just had access to all of their information and so it's using GPT-4, but it's contextualized just to Coca-Cola, just the things that Coca-Cola has done in their past. And so you can ask, you know, what are campaigns that were similar to this? What was effective at reaching this demographic? Uh, and just be able to sort of quickly see all the information that Coca-Cola knows that, you know, any individual is certainly not going to be able to remember. And so those are the types of things we, that are really powerful for customers to just bring all of their data and then make it so simple with a natural language interface to just go and, and talk to it. So there's a lot of people watching this that are in the marketing profession um, and a lot of them in the, again, the local brand and, and uh, local business space. Where do they start? Like, how do they even get going? Like, there's, it's almost daunting thinking about all the, the, the possibilities out there, but any recommendations for them? I mean, the things that we, we encourage people to do are, you know, think about what are the use cases that are really important to you. These models are great at creating content. They're great at summarization. They're great at helping you search across a large corpus of data and find the information that you want. They're great at writing code. Um, which of those four is sort of most relevant? For marketers, a lot of it would be creating content and searching through the things that they've done in the past. And so then figuring out how can you use these tools to help you create the content, go and test it out, you know, really spur the creativity. I think that's one of the things I find so exciting about this technology is it helps people be more creative. And I'm not the most creative person myself, so it's really helpful for me. Um, you know, image generation technology, helping me sort of come up with new ideas, uh, creating different copy. Like, those are the things that I would say, think about what is going to be really helpful to you to make you more productive in your role, and then let's go and find the tools that will help you do that. Love it. Love it. Um, we did... Uh in our announcement of, of, of bird AI, we talked about the first feature that we rolled out, which was recommendations for review response. So if somebody gets in a review from Google, from Bing, from Facebook, all over the place, um, in, in the bird eye platform, there's one little button and it says, you know, to that point around creativity, 
how many times can you say, you know, thank you for, thank you for, for coming being, here yeah. or sorry or whatever. So great sort of first, first application and it used GPT-4 and it used uh, the Azure backend and, and um, what else can BirdEye and Microsoft be doing together? Like what, how, how, how could a partnership like that I mean, I think that's a great application, um, you know, it just sort of scratches all of the itches for where this technology is really good and how it works well with people. Um, and so that's where I think the more we can think through what are the places where BirdEye's customers are looking to be more creative, are looking to sort of leverage technology, are looking to be more productive in their job. What are the tasks that are least interesting to them and how do you make that easier, faster, more productive? Because that's where these things are really great, uh, you know, finding those often repetitive tasks, but that, that aren't, they do require some skill and creativity. And so it's not just something that you can completely automate. How do you put that into something that makes your products really compelling to use? Yeah, whenever you've got a marketer trying to engage with their consumers, right? And, and that world is just exploding. How many touch points they are expected to, right. to, to be on where you can improve their efficiency, help them with writer's block, all of that. All of it, yeah, it's, exactly. It's super huge. powerful. Well, look, this this has been great. It's super uh, informative. Great to hear what you guys are doing. I, I guess, you know, what's next for you guys? Where is this all going? What should we be thinking about uh, moving forward? Yeah, it's a question I also get asked a lot, and I usually disclaim it saying, if you'd asked me a year ago, did I think we'd be here? I would have laughed at you. No, I would not have thought that. So my ability to predict the future is somewhat <laughs> limited. Um, but what are the things that we see? Uh, the trends of these models that we saw that have led us to this point continue. How do we continue to make the models larger and, and make them more sophisticated? Uh, we're starting to see interesting trends as we bring different modalities together. And so uh, GPT for Vision brings you know images and text into the same modality. And so now, you know, you can do interesting things like see a picture and, and describe it, or even sort of read the question that's posed in a picture and, and sort of bringing those two modalities together. I think we'll start to see more uh, multimodal. I mean, already we've brought, you know, language and translation and all of that into single models. Um, we just get so much more power when we do that, which in some ways is a little counterintuitive, but I think we'll see more of that coming um, and then I really think, you know, it's just uh, right now we're in the age of implementation, we've got this amazing new tool and it does a lot of things well. It doesn't do everything. And so we have to often talk people off a ledge that they think it'll do something incredible, but it does a lot of things really well. And we have to figure out what are the really compelling use cases. And then let's build the, the you know, technology around them to go and help people use it. Yeah. And uh, hopefully the partnership uh, between BirdEye and Microsoft continues that way because we've got the access to, you know. 100,000 customers that are, are uh, trying to run their businesses better, get more customers, keep those customers happy. And uh, a partnership like that could go a long way. Absolutely. That's definitely how we look to scale is, you know, we, we can't reach those 100,000 customers. We need you to help us with it. So, yeah, really looking forward to the partnership. Excellent. Thanks for coming. Of course. Thanks for having me. All of you out there, stay tuned. We've got some amazing breakout sessions with our customers, all talking about how they're putting AI into action. AI visionaries. The lay of the land on where things are? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Definitely one of the most integrated partners we have.